we're here. Here we go. Screen heating away. Screen heat Miami. That's right. Starting to cool down a little bit in the as we enter the fall break. Yes. Post hurricane. It was pretty bad. I know. Yeah, we almost got uh, we almost got a big one, so we had to shut it down for a week. Start the the usual Miami, South Florida, the prep hurricane shuffle. <laughs> Is it coming? Is it not coming? Are we yes. putting up shutters? Are we not? Yes. Public's out of water again. <laughs> Gas Home line Depot, th- where are you? <laughs> I saw a funny meme. It said, uh, this hurricane sponsored by Publix and the Home Depot. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Yeah. But Publix, Home Depot. Shout outs. We're looking for sponsors. <laughs> we'll take you as sponsors. <laughs> Speaking of which, this podcast is brought to you, as always, by Kajik Multimedia. Chemical. Cinevision. 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 I'm going to get that right. <laughs> and the Miami Media and Film Market. I don't know why I keep thinking of Sasson con something. Talking about, we have a Cuban. That guy. sounds perfect heading into this next yes. episode. Mari Carmen Lopez was our special guest today. A Cuban-American uh, music manager, producer, all-around talent. Just a, a lovely lady from our community. And just so happy that we were able to grab that interview. Yes, yes. She stepped right. up. Oh, yes. The game. Totally did. Yeah, she started as a music manager, uh, working with Slip and Slide Records, the iconic South Florida independent record label, and got into television, got involved with the Love and Hip Hop franchise, which opened up a whole world of opportunities for her, but but we'll let her tell the story because it's pretty cool. Got to give a shout out to Ted Lucas. That's right. Founder of Slip and Slide. If you're listening, love to have you on. He's done a lot. Yes, he Trick has. Daddy. Oh, Trina. Gosh. Yes. Plies. Oof. Say Jagged Edge. That's so many artists have mm. come from that camp. Yeah, it was it was a factory of of local hip hop and uh, rap artists that just really made a name for themselves. Obviously, not only regionally but nationally as well. So yeah, hip hop and R and B. That's right. That's where it's at. Yeah, hip hop culture, Miami culture. It kind of feels like it's one and the same, right? Like I think a lot of the Miami culture came from. That sort of bravado, that swagger. Well, you know, you have to realize that one of our great pioneers mm. really moved the game up for the hip-hop industry. Hip-hop being the number one music in the country. It is. Luther Campbell. Uncle Luke. Uncle Luke. Took it to the Supreme <laughs> Court. Wow, what, what an epic case that was. I mean, something that really put its mark on the entire industry that happened here. Uh, if people don't know the story, it was Broward County. They were releasing, I believe, their new record, and it was hit with an obscenity charge and was actually banned from all stores in Broward County. This is back in the day for you millennials where people had to go to a place called a record store <laughs> and buy an audio cassette or, or a CD at places like Specs. If you're from California, it'd be places like, uh, what's the one over there? The really iconic Tower Records. Tower Records. Yeah. So we, Virgin. That, Virgin. Those were places that young folks like us at the time would go and hang out and find the latest record or CD. And you knew it was going to be especially interesting if it had that parental warning on it. And it certainly was a parental warning on Uncle Luke's. Parental hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you really have to give it up. He took it to the Supreme Court, and that actually changed a lot for the industry. So that's right. 
That's right. No, it really did. That that really was a monumental case that really uh, spoke about this idea of freedom of speech and your right to to speak your mind, however way that comes about. Yes. Yes. So it, it was definitely a game changer. He's been a game changer in the industry, you know, still lives here locally, coaches peewee football, involved, obviously a huge fan of the Miami Hurricane football team, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. And he has his own show, actually. The Warriors of Liberty City. Yes, I was just mentioning Pee Wee football. That's right. That's on Stars, I believe. Yeah. So right. that's also a great segue because here you have Luther Campbell that segued into television. Right. You have Marty, Marty Common. Right. Who started in the music industry, took it to TV. Yeah. Or content is that's what, what we, we keep saying. We keep harping. It's all content now. It doesn't matter. Music, film, podcasts. It's all content. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a lot going on in the world. There is, and and we do want to touch on the Bahamas. Uh, we mentioned earlier that we were spared from this last hurricane, uh, Dorian, but the our, our friends and neighbors in the Bahamas were hit very hard. Uh, so they're still recovering. Uh, Category 5 that basically sat there for 24 hours and really devastated that country. And uh, so, you know, I just wanted to let people know that there are organizations out there that are helping. So if you haven't donated yet, you know, see if you can find a cause to at least send some food. And we'll have a link on the website or two of places that you can reach out and touch our brothers and sisters in the Bahamas. That is a great idea, Kevin. ScreenHeatMiami.com. ScreenHeatMiami.com and find out ways to help our friends in the Bahamas. Uh, We're all trying to do our part here locally. And so, yeah, so many folks from that community that uh, have either live here now or have family there. Uh, Obviously, the cruise industry, which is a huge driver for uh, South Florida. That's really, to me, the most important stop for a lot of these cruises. So it really affects the entire ecosystem of South Florida. And the film and entertainment industry. I mean, in the film and entertainment industry of Miami, Mm -hmm. they consider the Bahamas our back lot. Yeah, that's what we call it. Our backlog. It's part of our. I mean, look how many great movies have shot there. You're right. Everything from the the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, a uh, bunch of other kind of fun dramas and comedies. After the Sunset, I remember that movie. Our buddy Brett Ratner directed that back in the day, and and many more. But the one that stood out to me the most, and I was looking through the list, is the James Bond franchise, Casino Royale, and that's just one of them. I mean, it goes, and that's yeah, it, it goes back all the way to almost to the beginning. If you look at movies like Thunderball, 1965. Whoa. Thunderball. <laughs> I, I was, was that Sean Connery? That was Sean Connery. <laughs> Sounds uh, like he's here. Yeah, he's in the room. <laughs> oh, that was a great picture. <laughs> yeah. The Bond Girls. Now, I don't think they call them Bond Girls anymore. I think they've retired that name. Have you heard about that? They might be retiring it's, the Bond Girls. day they, and age, yeah. I could you know see that coming it could be coming but uh but yeah so many of those great movies uh what else did they shoot over there the spy who loved me 1977 never say never again yeah moonraker wow that's it goes way back so yes obviously a love affair between that great film franchise and the bahamas so it's just it's a beautiful series of islands and just so much in terms of the culture and the people and everything about it it's great yeah and i heard word that what they really want is, you know, it's that northern part of the Bahamas that was hit. The but the rest of the Bahamas right. is still open for business. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So, and tourism is one of their biggest drivers. Right. So they are encouraging people 
to come and spend time in the Bahamas. So places like Nassau, that's safe. Yeah. Right. Places that are safe. And so that's a big generator of income for the Bahamas. Sure. And a lot of the people that were really hard hit, you know, they're migrating over to the other parts. And that tourism drives a lot of the dollars. And, you know, it feeds people and puts money in their pockets. Well, we just gave you a great idea, a film tourism idea to do the official James Bond movie tour of sets filmed in the Bahamas. Boom. Boom. You heard it on screen. Heat Miami. (laughs) Maybe we should start a touring company as well. (laughs) Screen Heat Tours. Sponsored by Publix. That's right. (laughs) And Home Depot. (laughs) And Virgin. And Virgin. Yeah. Need a travel company in there. So that's that's actually, I like that. Screen Heat Tours. Here we go. That's trademark now. We said it. Here you go. It's all so, about those so yeah, trademarks. wishing all the best for our for our friends over there. And uh, as Kevin said, we will have some links on the website for anyone that's interested in supporting that cause. And for the rest of you that want to visit, definitely visit our friends in the Bahamas. Yes, you can always stop in Miami on your way back and hang out and talk to us. We're here, so. <laughs> right here in the podcast room. That's right, the heart of Little Havana. Yeah. Yes, that's sir. What it's all about. Get come by, get some cafecito. Yes. Some arroz con pollo, and then swing by and see us here in the podcast room. You're going to hear about the cafecito in your episode. We are, yeah. It's really great. Really excited. Mari's interview, uh, again, mentioned she is Cuban-American, born in New Jersey, but raised primarily here in Miami. Her mother is full Cuban, and she is, uh, yeah, 100% uh, Cuban-American. So we get into some culture talk. We get into some music talk. We get into industry talk. So, yeah, it's going to be good. Always... And, you know, what's really cool is, you know, Love and Hip Hop is VH1's biggest show. Yes. Yes, it is. It's definitely been their biggest and I'd say most prolific franchise with all the different cities that they've added since the original New York one, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, this whole content battle, Mm. the battle of the bruisers is getting even more vicious. Yeah. As we speak. It is. Yeah, it's it's definitely an all-out tug-of-war now for the eyeballs, the digital eyeballs and your monthly subscription dollars. Yeah, you mentioned something that I thought was really cool, and I did not hear about this. Hmm. Now, we started off our first podcast talking about Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We did. There may be a series. Rumors from Brad Pitt himself that they may be in development on some type of spinoff series over at Netflix. Oof. Apparently, yeah, there was a lot of uh, unused footage. Yeah, I guess Tarantino shoots a lot. Uh, great scenes that unfortunately just didn't make the final cut that they're thinking to maybe even somehow roll that into a, a series. But I think what that film did was that it just kind of established this really interesting world in this sort of last heyday of Hollywood before that next transition into the 70s and 80s that I think could make, you know, because period dramas like uh, are very hot on uh, on on especially platforms like Netflix, shows like Glow and Stranger Things are all set in kind of this early 80s, mid 80s. So to take something back into that time period as a series, as a limited series, maybe I think it'd be really fun. Yeah, I mean, there's a show on Showtime that I'm really digging right now. It's called On Becoming a God in Central Florida. Love that show. Love it. Love that show. And it's circa 80s. Right. And... It's well, you all are going to have to see it. Yeah, it's based off of this company called Fam, and that company they have these products 
that, you know, they're sellers, resellers and resellers, Mm -hmm. sort of a pyramid type of situation. And, you know, it's really a a dark comedic take Hmm. stars. One of my favorite actors and actresses. But um, before I get to her, um, but Alexander Skarsgård, I was thinking about his brother because it have you seen it? It. His brother plays the the uh, main character in it. Oh. Yeah, that Skarsgård family, they're just yeah, those scorching it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to catch that one. I haven't seen it. He plays the husband of Kirsten Dunst, hmm. her character. And it's really, you know, this story of triumph and overcoming obstacles. Hmm. And what I'm loving about Showtime is they're championing, championing a lot of diverse stories. One of my favorite shows on and has been for a long time on Showtime, Homeland, which is Claire Danes. Just amazing, brilliant, brilliant show. Mm. Um, you don't have to really give it up for what they're doing over there at Showtime. Just creating such great shows and such great content. But yeah, I'm really digging this show. It's one of my favorite shows now. So huh. I'm, gonna give, I'm throwing another show your way. There you go. Yeah, more <laughs> coming attractions <laughs> if you want to catch up. So I got to catch up on Glow. Yeah. And Definitely. Here's another one for you. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta get that one. Succession, becoming a god in Central Florida. I'm, I'm, my list is growing. I have to find more binge time somewhere. <laughs> Last week's Succession was just a it tour was. de force. Ah, gotta see that. Ooh. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We will get there. So yeah, other things coming up uh, as we do get into the fall season. For the folks in the industry, know that this is when you know some of the major film festivals. I wanted to talk about. We just had Venice, now Toronto, and and I think one of the big ones that everyone's talking about is that new Joker movie, huh? It won Venice. It won Golden the, Lion. Imagine a superhero. I guess this is. People say, oh, it's 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 a superhero. It's not a superhero. First of all, it's a supervillain movie. I would say, right? It's a supervillain movie, but their take on it, from what I understand, because, you know, maybe only the folks in Venice and the editors and the people that um, have done the film have seen it. But from what I understand, they really are not playing the super element and they're really making it a human story. Mm. So I think the take uh, just is more, um, you know, baseline. Yeah, it's drama, it's gritty, which, you know, and and to be fair, the Batman, that particular storyline, it's really, you know, these are supposedly normal people that just have access to, you know, interesting worlds and backstories that cause them to enter a world of either crime fighting or obviously in Joker's case, uh, crime. (laughs) Uh, So, so yeah, and these are more or less just yeah not i wouldn't say normal people but they don't have the same sort of superhero things that we we think of when we think of superman or even wonder woman these sort of godlike creatures they are they are essentially humans yeah and the director todd phillips you know he's really i mean for me in terms of exploring characters Mm. you know one of the tops in exploring characters and there's no one that walks that line of insanity better than walk the line (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Then Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yes. Yeah, brilliant actor. Just really just dives into the character. I still remember that character he played in, even in Gladiator, where he was just like, you just felt that performance. That you were just like, gosh, what a creep. But he just made it feel so visceral and real. 
and and almost unpredictable and kind of like you know the inner workings of of how he builds that character so i'm really excited to see joker i believe it's hitting theaters and we want to say october i want to say uh that sounds about right let's see the magic of but like you said the big surprise is winning the golden lion Yes, that was a surprise. Like usually these types of what we consider the more, I guess you would say, popcorn movies mm-hmm. don't really have that much of um, a platform or even get that much of a critical response, particularly at these major film festivals like Venice and Toronto, which are known for, you know, these are for the Oscar contenders. These are for the indie breakouts that uh, really, you know, tour de forces, you know, a director's masterpiece, you know, something that's going to be a breakout uh, but more on the indie side, but to see a film like Joker not only uh, you know be screened at these festivals, but also actually get to win the top prize. That's that's pretty unique. That's interesting. And I think it brings it front and center for DC. Mm-hmm. This has this is a big win for DC. They're, yeah, they're coming off of commercial successes. So Aquaman, right? You know, did phenomenally well. Yeah, a couple of films before that didn't fare so well. Sure, they've had some misses. (laughs) They've had a couple of misses. But, I mean, for this type of critical praise, you know, any franchise that is, you know, more in the comic realm. Right. Yeah. But I I like DC's take. I like Warner Brothers' take because how do you differentiate yourself from the other major cinematic universe, the Marvel universe? Right. And really create a space for yourself. And I think as opposed to going bigger in terms of more CGI and more action and more budget, really concentrating on these characters and these unique stories. The human element. The human elements, I think, could really uh, create a, a really interesting niche because... Not all the superhero movie fans, they're, they're not all teenagers and, you know, just young people that just want to see action and people flying around. I, I think there is a mature. Hey, I want to see Joaquin go crazy. Exactly. I think everybody wants to see that. Maybe, you know, <laughs> I, probably. So. So, yeah, I think I think that 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 character in particular has upped the game for quality performances. I mean, even in what was it? Batman Begins. Everybody remembers Heath Ledger's performance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely that that lent itself to, towards you know, the more dramatic. Correct. Christopher Nolan's right you know yeah. his movies so so yeah I think it's, it is really the director's medium now of, of directors like Todd Phillips now and before obviously the great Christopher Nolan who are really upping the game speaking of horror it sounds like someone's getting buzzed <laughs> they're going the hard <laughs> hard somebody is getting their neck chopped off jeez Louise yeah so uh, we have a horror film going on out here we have a horror film in the background but maybe this is a good time to pause and have our lovely listeners enjoy an amazing interview with the one and only mari carmen lopez and we'll be back hopefully after the buzzsaw madness has ended yeah, hopefully we're alive maybe we'll have written a script by then let's see <laughs> or maybe we'll be dead <laughs> even better <laughs> no, i don't know Except, about that yeah, dead men tell no tales, so that wouldn't work <laughs> we'll be back. Speaking of pirates. All right, we'll be back. Okay, we're here. Screen Heat Miami interview with the very talented producer and artist manager, Mari Carmen Lopez. Ooh, hi. hi. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So this is Screen Heat Miami. So what we do is essentially we take a look at the global industry, but from a Miami perspective. And obviously, I think, you know, based on your background and everything you've done, you've had so much exposure to the global industry, but you're also from here. Yep. Raising the 305. 
So yeah. tell us a little bit more about that. What was it like growing up here and the culture and, and your family's background? Um, I was born in New Jersey um, and came down here at a very young age. Um, and I mean, everything that embodies me is is from Miami. Um, I was exposed to a lot of things from my uh, culture. I'm Cuban, full 100% Cuban, born in Jersey though. And, uh, but, you know, was raised in Little Havana. And also I went to school um, in Liberty City for high school. I went to Miami Northwestern. So I think all those different elements and being um, open to all those different cultures coming in. I, you know, I have a very, I'm, you know, I'm not so cha-cha and I'm not so urban. I'm kind of like in between. I'm a good blend of salsa and trap. There you go. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and that's carried me all through now, you know, even in the projects that I've worked on and, and you know, just my own special seasoning, I guess, and in, in the things that I do, you know, I, I embody everything that I've been around and it's been because I've been raised down here. Right, right. Yeah. And it's, you know, obviously it's a city that's very multicultural, that, that seems yep. to embrace a lot of cultures. Uh, and and I think we discussed this on the first podcast that the the assimilation doesn't take place as quickly here as it does in other American cities. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've noticed that as well. Yeah, uh, I've spent time in Los Angeles and obviously in New York, and uh, it feels like you know in New York you're a New Yorker, in LA you know eventually you're at, yeah I'm from LA, but in Miami it feels like everyone just says I'm Cuban, I'm Dominican, I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> So it's, uh, I don't know if that's played into sort of your understanding of how pop culture then can kind of take these specific cultures and then make them into something bigger. Um, I mean, I don't know. You know, I think when I, when I'm in other cities, like I think the people that are from down here have a very proud badge in their, in their chest. You know, I think being from Miami, it's a very unique place, um, you know, and, and at least when I when I experience being out there, people when they say they're from the 305, they're from Miami, they're from the crib, they're from the bottom. Like it's very unique phrases that only embody like being from Miami. So right. no, and I think it, it probably is a generational thing because I think you know because our parents and grandparents, uh, you know, did come from these other countries for various reasons. That now the younger generations that are from here that have been raised in the community. Uh, you're right. They're starting to create their own identity right. as well. And I think that's very exciting. Right. So in terms of, of you going back to your sort of education and upgrade, did you always want to work in the music and the TV business? No. You know, I um, I actually went to college uh, to Miami-Dade College um, for uh, criminal justice. Um, oh. I changed my major a couple times because I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But um, it was always around like social skills because I first wanted to be um, in therapy. I wanted to be a therapist. And then I wanted to be in. Um, gracias. Cafecito. There you Ay, go. Gracia. 305 Cafecito. <laughs> <laughs> it comes free with every podcast. Amen. <laughs> Need that. Gracias, Robert. No, no, no. There you go. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to the listeners. Yes. <laughs> um, this is the one thing, honey. You go to another city, you cannot get a cafecito. You go to New York, they'll be like, what? This is right. the only, like, when you tell people um, in other, like other restaurants I've been to um, in, you know, other parts of the country, um, I'll be specific and say, I want American coffee. And they'll be like, oh, you must be from Miami because Miami is the only place that un cafecito, un cafe cubano, like 
this this don't happen everywhere. No, you're <laughs> like, right. <laughs> this don't happen everywhere. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. Um, uh, so wait, what were we on? We, we were, were on criminal justice. Criminal justice, yes. Yeah. So yeah, I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in college, but it was all, I've always had people skills, and um, I when I went to Miami Northwestern, um, I went for the Payback program, which is performing and visual arts. I was a dancer, you know, uh, Afro Cuban uh, song, like very traditional um, Cuban music. I grew up um, dancing and. And, and learning and being in different classes, flamenco, ballet, all that stuff your parents put you through when you're, you know, young. So um, I went to high school for that. And then going to college, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, and then I just ended up getting an internship at um, at a music label. I was re- I was bartending and waitressing at the comedy club down here back in the days in Coconut Grove called the Miami Improv, which is now I think in Doral. Sure. Um, and I being again being open and exposed to different people, and um, I met the former vice president of marketing for Slip and Slide Records, which is a very prominent Miami-based label that you know. Uh, Definitely started the sounds of South Florida and, you know, uh, Slip and Slide brought Trick Daddy and Trina and Rick Ross and Plies and all these unique Miami um, artists or, you know, Plies is from Fort Myers. But um, Slip and Slide was definitely iconic um, when I started work, when I was working with them. So I started getting an internship, didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, and it kind of grew from there. I wasn't really prepared for this. You know, am I prepared now? I don't know. I just be taking the opportunities as they come and, you know, thank God I'm able to to learn um, and, you know, do something great with it. But I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I was a dancer before, so I was on stage. Right. You know, um, and... That was always a passion of mine, you know, the arts and the culture. My mom, she's, you know, that's been her whole life. She has an, a, a band. She's had a band since 1994. And my grandfather was a trumpet player and a shoemaker in Cuba. So um, music has always been part of my blood, part of my DNA. Um, but, you know, the fact that I'm in this now is, you know, I guess God's calling. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's right. I've, I've heard your mom perform. She's amazing. Oh, thank it's you. Such a cool group. <laughs> uh, <laughs> definitely brings a flavor in the culture for sure. Amen. So so now you're sort of transitioning now you're you're in the music world you're at Slip and Slide and at some point do you just kind of naturally go into artist management was that sort of the track It was forced uh you know Ted Lucas who's the CEO of Slip and Slide signed a very iconic um R&B group back then called Jagged Edge he signed them back in 2009 um and uh he wanted to re rejigger and re um put some new energy into the former management department for Slip and Slide called Boss Man Management. So, um, you know, my mentor, Byron Trice, he was managing Plies for a long time, has managed a bunch of other Miami artists. And, you know, he said, you know, I'm going to put you with this department, um, give you a job, mm-hmm. and you'll learn from Byron how to, like, start moving with these artists. Um, I w- you know, I, I was interning for about six months, um, and, you know, he saw he saw me fit to do this. You know, I, again, I was just working and grinding and, you know, doing the things that were asked of me to do and, you know, always wanting to go above and beyond because I'm here. So let me make the best out of it. Um, so that's how it kind of came into play. You know, Jagged was in an all, all, all around deal with the label. So we were, um, helping them out with more than just the music. We were helping them out with the touring. We were helping them out with the publishing. We were helping them out with other factors um, of their careers. So, you know, it was only right for Ted to put specific people to handle them in more ways than one. So for two and a half years, I was dealing with Jagged Edge and, you know, other artists on the label, Trina, um, 
you know, and predominantly Trina and Jagged Edge. So that's really how I started to learn about, you know, dealing with artists day in and day out right. um, in all aspects of, of, of what they got going on. Yeah. Predominantly touring, though. I was on the road with them alongside their management um, for a while. So I learned how to move around with seven to eight guys and, you know, having to stand on my own because I was the only female a lot of times with them and not, you know, not being punked around and, you know, and, and if we're in, you know, odd situations, knowing how to figure our way out of that. So, yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely, a, 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 I guess, a, an immersion into the industry. Right. <laughs> right. When you're on tour, you're on the grind, there's shows, there's travel issues, there's personal issues. I'm yep. sure you learn to do with all those things. Right? Yep. That's, and, <laughs> and dealing with my own life, too, you right. know, at the same time. So, um, yeah, it was it was definitely an experience and it really taught me how to um, make something out of nothing just because, you know, this is an independent label, so they don't have the, you know, very successful independent label um, has, you know, deals with, you know, the Jives and the Def Jams and the Atlantic Records and stuff, but they're still indie at the end of the day, so they don't have... You know, you have to make way with what you have. So, you know, if we're in a city, you know, typically there's different um, runs for artists and stuff. There may be a promo run, then there may be a radio run, then there may be a touring run. But, you know, if we know we're in a city, then we want to be able to take advantage of being in the city and do everything that we can do from radios to after parties to the shows itself. So we learned how to make, you know, what, what we had and made the best out of it sure yeah. and, and in terms of you know just touching on on how you kind of build an artist career now and it's interesting in the time that we sort of came up in the business where you kind of see this transition from the traditional way of promoting uh you know doing live radio and 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 concerts and then social media kicks in and how does that sort of change the game for these artists once that becomes a factor as well i mean you know i think although it's different mediums i still think the one thing that stays consistent is access to the fans and having a direct line of communication with the fans. So when you're doing live radio and you're doing meet and greets and you're doing shows, it's a direct face-to-face with the fans. And I think now in the digital space, when there's social media, I mean, you see these artists. Back, I think it's a blessing because back then... You know, you felt like these artists were just like mysterious beings and you only would see them in these like very specific times, like in front of a show or in front of a radio station. But now, um, you know, you're able to tweet an artist and they probably may tweet you back. So you have right. that direct line with them. And, you know, I know it's be- it's also a curse to a lot of artists because now you have to open up your lives in ways that you may not have had to before just to be able to gain access to your fans. You know, fans don't want to just have love great music. They want to love a great personality. And a lot of times a great personality, a great story, a real story, a transparent story may trump great talent right i've seen that time and time again so um i think that's how it's kind of shifted right you know because i i there's a lot of great artists that just don't have the personality or the transparency so uh, a person may not feel connected to them the way they you know used the way they needed to before before great music was just it and great music is still it now but now you just got to have a little bit more you got to be willing to open up about your family and about your life and about your love and about you know your your triumphs and your tragedies and all that stuff so i think that's how it's kind of shifted yeah no it makes a lot sense you really have to expose yourself in ways that you didn't have to before yeah and like you said you know some artists have the talent but you know, knowing how some artists are that are very sort of introverts, they don't mm-hmm. like to put all of it out there. Uh, it's interesting to see that, you know, the balance that you have to try to keep. right. And you have some artists that get it and they change with the times. I mean, who would have thought that Jay-Z or Beyonce would have a, a Instagram account and 
you would see Beyonce post her kids or post her marriage or anything like that. Or even like in the music that she's made, you know, there was that very infamous elevator incident between Solange and Beyonce and Jay-Z. And, you know, they may not have directly dealt with it in the media, but you buy the music and you hear her commenting about over a billion dollars in that elevator. You know, they know how to utilize the times that we're in now and sell their music and put that in front of everything else and, you know, give the fans a little here and a little there. Right, right. It just creates that sense of intrigue and kind of pulls the fans into their world a little yep. bit in the ways that they kind of decide. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that's very cool. So so let's talk about another artist that, that you work with, Slick Rick. How yes. did that come about? Um, actually, being on the road with Jagged Edge, we, I was in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, no, I'm lying. I was in Foxwoods Theater, Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. I just can't remember what part of Connecticut that was. Um, and Jagged had a show with, you know, there was a big R&B um, bill. And um, the promoter for that bill was a promoter. Like, he's a type of promoter that just wants to put up the money. He wasn't like, I wanted. I don't want to deal with the artists. I don't want to deal with, you know, being in front of them, their writers or anything like that. So when he saw how I, hand, uh, how I was handling my artist, he you know start he wanted to start hiring me to deal with some of his other shows so um there was a particular show in Bridgeport Connecticut he does the he did the Fresh Fest tour 2010 mm. um and there was a wonderful lineup you know Houdini MC Light Dougie Fresh Slick Rick um Rakim um which were very classic um acts of the whole golden hip-hop era so um he i was managing um that tour meaning like the i was hand, helping him handle the press but i was also the artist liaison so um i met the uh, wife of slick rick who's man her name is mandy Aragones. she's a puerto rican um and she's also his manager has been his manager for his entire almost his entire career like 20 years so um you know her and i connected we were latinas you know there wasn't there's a lot of Latinos behind the scenes of hip hop culture, you mm. know. So, you know, we we were we were two, you know, Latinas there kind of moving around. We connected in that way. We stayed in touch. Um, you know, at one point, you know, she you know, so little by little, we we kept our our, I guess, friendship or our connection growing. She needed a bio for Rick at one point. You know, she knew what I did. So she asked me to do one. And then, you know, knowing that I was in Miami at the time when she would come down here to South Florida, she'd be like, hey, I'm in town. Can you help us out with this or can you do this or just come out and hang out with us? And that's how we slowly started to kind of build our friendship and our business relationship. And, you know, it kind of went from there. And then at one point she was in need of something, um, you know, that was kind of uh, an emergency at the time. And uh, she asked me to help her figure some things out, and I did, and that's how it kind of went from there. So I've been working with them for almost 11 years now. Oh, wow. um, you know, more than just a business relationship or family, you know, I've seen them go through some really deep stuff. I don't know if you guys know Rick's history with immigration and, you know, 23-year battle with... Um, Immigration. He just got his citizenship at the age of 51, which wow. was three years ago. Um, and, you know, yeah, we, we did our, you know, his first prison visit as an artist to give back. You know, he was stationed, one of the jails he was stationed at was Rikers, which is up in Queens, New York. And, you know, it, it, him performing for the inmates in the place where he was also at when he was incarcerated was a very emotional time for them. You know, I've really, I've been with her and through so many ups and downs, you know, 
and and we just became family at that point. So, oh, wow. yeah. So he so now you know at the age of fifty four he's found new life. You know because he had this big immigration monkey on his back for all these years. You know it stopped a lot of stuff for him because when he got arrested it was, um, you know he was he was at the peak of his career. He had just released you know his first album, successful do- debut album. He was known for Lottie Daddy and all these big songs that he had put out with Dougie, and you know he gets arrested. So. Um, you know, he puts out three more albums after that, but, you know, who knows what would have happened with his career if that incarceration wouldn't have happened at the time. So now he's, like, gaining a second wind of life, you know, and, you know, he's past few years, he's been on some really amazing songs from, like, artists now, you know, with French and Drake and um, working on some new projects, and, you know, he it's just a blessing to see, you know, then till now with him. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, immigration being such a hot-button issue now. Uh, in the world and seeing how, you know, even back then that, you know, this this artist that you would have never even thought would have had such an issue. <laughs> yeah. I um, mean, back then, you know, you know, right now in hip hop, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a redemptive story when an artist gets incarcerated and comes out and, you know, probably makes it bigger than what he was when he first got in. Right. Back then it wasn't it. I, you know, Rick, Rick was probably one of the first artists, major artists back then in hip hop that, you know, had to deal with stuff and um, legally and you know, it just wasn't a thing back then. So, right. um, you know, especially for hip hop, was a new thing. Hip hop was a new sport uh, back then. With um, you know, in the music industry, you know, MTV wasn't playing hip hop back then. Like, it, you know, hip hop has gone through its ups and downs. So, Rick having uh, be having to be an immigrant and having to deal with those proceedings while hip hop was still a new sport. It's like you know, he was. I mean, he pioneered many part asset. Uh, yeah, assets. a lot, a lot. Right. You know, just just not in music. So right, mm-hmm. right. That's very interesting. So so now you know you're working on the music side, but eventually you know you start to get into television production. So how does that happen? Um, I uh, there is a wonderful man that used to work at Atlantic Records. Um, his name is David. He used to be the VP of International Marketing. Um, and you know we had slip and slide. We have relationships with Atlantic because we had a bunch of artists there at one point. Um. So every time I would go to New York, I'd always, you know, stay connected with the people that were up there. And, you know, he I've been wanting to leave Miami and kind of like do other things because unfortunately, you know, there's a ceiling um, in the music industry in Miami. There's only so much that you can do here. You know, eventually you have to be able to, you know, graduate what you've done down here and, and, and go somewhere else and, you know, keep grinding and growing and then hopefully be able to bring it home one day so you know did I graduate from the Miami industry Miami music industry I don't know if I graduated but I was ready to go right. <laughs> I was ready to go so um I you know putting out feelers out there I was in I was in a trip in New York and he's like I should connect you with this with this woman um you know she's she would like you you're spicy you're this you're that so I was like okay um, so he, one day, I, he connected me with Mona Scott Young. Uh, at that point, she was, um, she had le- just left Violator Management. Violator Management was a huge um, management company um, that, you know, started the, that that was part of the careers of Diddy, Soldier Boy, Mariah Carey, yeah. Missy Elliott, Busta Rhymes. I mean, iconic artists that even when we started Bossman Management down here, or we started Bossman Management down here, we wanted to kind of mirror the successes and the moves that they made. They brought corporate to hip-hop they got huge deals for their artists you know 50 cent at the time got the deal with glacier water because of um corbassier mm. you know had the deal with buster rhymes because of them so they had some really 
power moves that they did. So, you know, meeting Amona Scott Young at the time was, you know, dope. And she was always a behind the scenes person. It was always Chris Lardy, God rest his soul, who was kind of the front end of that company. Mm-hmm. But Mona was always the one kind of making those power moves as well. So, you know, when David said he wanted to connect me with her, I was like, oh, okay. Um, she had just left Violator Management, started her her own company, Mona Me Entertainment, and getting into the TV and film space. Um, Love and Hip Hop back then was uh, just a thing. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like what it is now. Um, we met, we connected, we vibed, and from there we started building a friendship or, you know, a relationship at the time. Um, you know, I toured with Missy Elliott because of her. I My first trip in the Middle East was because of her. My first trip to L.A. was because of her. So um, that opened up the doors to, like, just, you know, continuing to grow um, my chops in this business. Um, so that's how it kind of started. And then, you know, I was working, you know, simultaneously between some slip and slide projects and, you know, Mona started having me help her out with some things too. And then eventually slip and slide, you know, I, I, I was, um, my, my contract was done with them and I just didn't renew it. Um, because I wanted to leave Miami and do other things. And then eventually in 2012, I just said F it and, you know, and, and went to New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, personally, I also had a lot of ups and downs um, back then. You know, I had my family, I had a lot of family members that passed between 2009, 2010. So all that was a part of me wanting to to get a fresh start. I just got out of a really effed up relationship. My right. family, you know, like all that stuff. It, you know, it was like how girls be wanting to cut their hair when they're ready to have a new life. I wanted to get the hell out of Miami right, right. and figure out something else somewhere else. So when that came um, to fruition and I was able to move to Miami, I mean, move to New York from Miami, you know, it started a whole new chapter in my life. Yeah. And that's how I got into TV and film. You know, Mona, you know, needed help with continuing to grow the love and hip hop brand um i so i've been there from the beginning with with the brand um which is now you know it's in four cities you know over 28 seasons combined and the most successful franchise on vh1 so i was you know i was there from the beginning with that brand that's fantastic and so now you're in new york you're doing this great thing love and hip hop's happening and then at some point they're they're looking for a new city right yeah so i mean they were looking for a new city from before you know um when uh new york was a success for the front for the for the network they wanted to add a second city so miami was actually in the running from back in 2011 2010 um it was between miami and another city back then you know miami i think it was a combination of the people in Miami because we're a very special set of folks down here <laughs> and um, so Miami back then I don't think was ready for something so um, intrusive like Love and Hip Hop because Love and Hip Hop you know there's really compelling stories but very you know you got to really be open about your life in every single which way and form you know that's in the casting process that's really what makes the show is you know we talk to these people about being open in every facet of facet of their lives and i just think the people that we were talking to back then that were part of the business down here were just not ready for that level of exposure so you know it went to another city then it went to another city and then um in 2016 when you know the the network was looking for another city to add to the franchise um you know miami was up in the running again and at that time you know my relationships had continued to grow i had worked in the field so i had a you know i was where i worked in casting and in the field so i had a 
um, unique sense of how to cast back then because I can foreshadow, okay, like, you know, let's let's figure out the stories during casting. So then for the next number of months when we're in series, like, you know, we know how we're arcing the story. So mm. I, I had more chops. I had more knowledge. I knew how to kind of figure things out a little better. So when it came back around to add a fourth city to the franchise, I took it personal and I wanted to really be able to, you know, bring light to the city that I was raised in and mm. that helped make me. So, um right. So yeah, so that happened. It was a years long worth of God knows how many rounds of castings and you know, I was able to um, you know, bring bring a, a very close friend of mine to help me cast. Um, you know, uh, Felicia Monet, she used to be a prominent radio personality down here in ninety nine jams. She was ready to you know, she was ready and willing to help figure out what the casting looked like down here and you know, she helped you know, help me bring some great people and you know, we got a new city and it was Miami and we started filming in January of two thousand and seventeen. Right. For the first season. That's great. And now you're wrapped on the second season. Yeah, right? we just wrapped. Um, when we wrapped earlier this year on the second season. You know, um, Miami's been a successful city for the for the franchise. You know, it's a new, it's a very different flavor. Like the one thing with Love and Hip Hop is that every city has its own unique cast of personalities and right. stories and, you know, flavors and stuff. So Miami was something very different um, and very new for the franchise. And for the network, you know, it has... A lot of Latino, a lot of Latino it has a lot of um, has different stories in the LGBT community. Right. Um, you know, Hollywood started, you know, Love and Hip Hop Hollywood kind of started to kind of encompass those stories. And then Miami just kind of took it over because, you know, that's just the pot that we're in, the pot of Spanish and cha-cha and urban right. and gay it was just Miami encompasses all that crazy stuff so you know we wanted to bring all those different flavors to the city so you know it's about to you know I I am hearing you know birds chirping that it's gonna be going to a third season so that's very exciting for the city and for the wow. franchise as a whole that's fantastic mm-hmm. but I guess it helps tremendous obviously you being a producer that's also from the community and the culture uh, as opposed to kind of a production that just kind of parachutes in that's kind of figuring everything out you're already because of your background here yeah are, we're able to I, I'm sure yeah you know I stories yeah I think because um you know there was other productions that were down here for a while there was wags there was um housewives there was basketball wives basketball basketball wives being you know probably the biggest production that came out of Miami on the unscripted side right um back in like 2000 and what nine or eight I can't remember when that when that city first started. But, you know, I think the unique approach that Love and Hip Hop Miami took was that we weren't just focused on one side of the bridge. You know, people Mm -hmm. from down here know that there are two sides to the bridge. Mm -hmm. There's the beautiful, sunny beaches and South Beach and yachts and lifestyles and parties and drinking and clubs and all that stuff. And, you know, you have a whole other side to the bridge that's not so pretty sometimes and you know I think what we tried to do um is that we tried to bring both worlds to the TV screen and I mm. think that's why people you know gravitated to it it just wasn't the south beach that people saw on pamphlets and on you know on 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 you know on TV right. they saw a whole other side they saw the ghouls they saw Calle Ocho, they saw the Compa Fest, they saw, um, you Hialeah. know, they saw Hialeah, yes, <laughs> they saw Hialeah Park, they saw, 
the crazy strip clubs that be on the you know, they just saw so many different um things that Miami offered that just weren't on one side of the bridge and I think people gravitated to that. They saw the dunks, they saw, right. you know, the big old dreadlocks down here that they call wicks. You know, right. they just saw all these different things that people just weren't used to seeing when it comes to Miami. Sure. You know, yeah. and but the biggest artists come from the other side of the bridge. The trick daddies, the Trinas, they're from down south goals, they're from Liberty City, they from Opalaka and Miramar, like, you know, yeah. they're all from that side of the bridge. So right. we wanted to make sure we bring that flavor into the city. Yeah, I think that's and that that's crucial what you're saying, because it, like you said, you know, Miami is not just the beaches and the sun. Like, right. There's so much more. Um, you know, I think in terms of pop culture, Winwood had a big hand in that and kind of bringing sort of that sort of star power across the bridge, you know, because that neighborhood, which started to come up in 2008, nine. Yeah. Uh, and now is considered like this global art mecca, huge yep. tourist destination. Yeah, uh, and it was just a working class Puerto Rican industrial neighborhood. I mean, I I remember the for seeing what Design District is now. I remember growing up and that was not it. Like seeing right. Wynwood and how you know how much money that the, that area is just bringing to the community, and you know you have warehouses that are a million dollars, you know, or more to like purchase is something dope because that wasn't it back then. It was a bunch of it was a bunch of empty crack houses right. and homeless people <laughs> that used to be in that whole area. So that's dope just to see the city, to see people really getting um, a taste of what the other side of the bridge brings to the city. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely, definitely. So now, you know, you got the successful run with Love & Hip Hop right. Miami, uh, but you're also venturing out into other projects as well. Yeah, you know, I... Um, I yeah, I I did a I did a few projects outside of Love and Hip Hop. Even you know because I, you know if you if you're a producer, you know that you're contracted for a certain number of months to work a project. So in between, you know people, a lot of people think that I've just been employed by Love and Hip Hop for all right. this time, and for the most part, I have been because you know first off the cities the the the, the seasons film for a very long time um but then also i always you know i've worked in every city at some capacity so when new york was wrapped and they needed help casting for hollywood then i would help or when they needed help doing you know atlanta was probably the city atlanta and hollywood i helped out just on the casting side um new york and miami have really been the cities that i've been um, most a part of so when it but again when it wasn't in series and we're filming for the reunion reunions are considered a completely separate show because it's a studio show so i was always just in the mix but in those short times that i had breaks in between i wanted to you know learn other productions um because the one thing that's celebrated in this production space is that you know if you work in a bunch of different places then that's that's celebrated in this in this industry because it shows variety, it shows diversity, right. it shows that you can work with different teams with different production houses because not every production is the same and love and hip hop is known in the business to be a very unique formula. Mm-hmm. You know, but I didn't want to be just pegged to knowing this one formula. I wanted to, you know, oh, she could do, you know, high drama urban or she can work with celebrities or she can just work with regular folks or you know I wanted to just be a diverse um, producer so I did work other productions even in between my um, my time with Love and Hip Hop you know I did Hustle and Soul which is on WeTV which is um, a, a show based on a um, 
a chef who owns a restaurant in Brooklyn called the Pink Teacup, and mm-hmm. that's a soul food restaurant. And I did um, my co-executive producer second season. Um, I've worked a bunch of MTV pilots. Um, I've worked a couple of Wii pilots. I've, you know, done other things with artists still, like you know, short, ten-minute pieces on them because they want to like be able to add content to their music that they're releasing. So mm. I've tried to, you know being engulfed in this business and being pushed into the industry I wanted to you know be able to do a lot so um, but yeah so Love and Hip Hop you know rap second season Um, I did a Netflix project in LA for a few months earlier this year Um, I just wrapped a Facebook watch project that I consulted on it's called Sneaker Hustle which is a show based on a family that owns a sneaker business um, in uptown and you know close to Harlem um, in New York um, so yeah, you know. wow. I, I want to touch on this last subject, you yep. know, because we do talk a lot about new opportunities and new platforms on the show. Um, you know, how is Netflix and Facebook Watch and these new big streamers really changing the game now in terms of of the variety of content that you can put out there? I mean, still still working projects under the Viacom umbrella, you know, and and getting a taste of both. You know, it's really making the networks step their game up, like mm-hmm. typical cable networks, because now the viewer has options, has a bunch of options. It's not just like we can only subscribe to these number of networks that do these number of, of, of projects or stories. Like, you know, you have all these other digitals that are competing and, you know, they have less restrictions than cable. So, you know, where I may not be able to say the F word or the B word, now I can see that happening in digital and it's not a problem. You know, like, so it's just all... And then and then you're not married to certain ways of telling stories in, um, in digital. You know, digital... Uh, it's really helped revolutionize, um, you know, creating content. I think it's also helped the independent, um, you know, filmmaker, the independent producer that, you know, is at home and trying to, you know, have very niche stories to tell. I think that also has helped, um, you know, build a platform for that, um, the digital space. So I think it's really, you know, helped networks step their game up, even in the ways of their storytelling. I mean, I've been in meetings in the past couple of months where they're telling cast members, that are already on their networks um and when they're bringing on new shows that you know because of just the the options the viewers have now you have to really be this open book you know back when you know reality was just you know starting up like the way you know not the real world way but like you know the best the wives and all those other types of shows mm. you know it was okay for you know just to give a little bit you know back then now it's like if you're not really being forthcoming and being a partner with the productions and storytelling then it's like it's hard to get shows greenlit because it's right. like they, it needs to be What's the story? We're competing with these big old shows now. We're competing with love. People love Love After Lockup and 90 Day Fiance and right. just these outrageous stories that people are like opening up their their, their, their their selves about. So it's like, what is happening to compete with that? You're right. Yeah. yeah. And it's really, you know, it, but, but, you know, the synonymous thing is that it's all real people telling real stories about their real lives, mm. you know? So it's, it's, it's like... You know, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot of competition out there now. Yeah, you're right. It's competition and it's compelling. So, yep. You know, the I, I borrow from my colleague Kevin. We like to always wrap the show. Uh, if if you had to speak to a younger version of yourself, or to a young filmmaker or producer or artist manager that wants to get into business, that's maybe in high school or college now, what advice would you give them? 
don't be afraid of making mistakes and don't be afraid of taking on an opportunity even if you may not be all knowledgeable about it. You know, I was always fearful of, you know, the opinions of people because I didn't go to school for film and I didn't go to school for music. You know, I didn't do any of that. I, you know, I took an opportunity that came to me as I was waitressing (laughs) and serving, you know, an executive. And I said, F it and just, you know, did it. And, it, you know, I was pushing forward through my fear. So, you know, don't allow your lack of knowledge or experience, you know, when something comes into play to be your, you know, your detriment to, you know, wanting to learn something. Because even if I didn't know what was going on, I was willing to learn and I was willing to open up my eyes and I was willing to stay up late in YouTube videos of shit that I didn't know. And I was and I was willing to ask people and I was willing to, you know, sit on sets that I wasn't working on on my days off and go to the director and find out, you know, figure out what ISOs were and figure out what a C300 was and figure out these things that I didn't know because I wanted to be a master at my craft. And am I a master now? I'm not. I'm not a master now. You know, I have a long way to go, but I wasn't afraid. So that I think is the, the common denominator here is that I was just willing to say fuck it and just sorry. Willing to say yeah, F it's it. okay. <laughs> There's no rating system. Uh, I was willing to just say F it and 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 push forward, you know. Um, so I would say that to a younger version of myself and a younger version, you know, of, of and, and just younger people in general. Just don't be afraid to fail. You know, you'll get those ninety. You know, you'll get ninety eight no's before you'll get that first yes, and right. that first yes is gonna be the big yes. You know, I'm right now like Jose mentioned, venturing off into like doing independent projects and developing and. I've never edited before, you know, and I've had to learn how to, you know, even as little as iMovie and then I'll, you know, I'll graduating to a premiere or an avid like, okay, let me play around with this and then see how, you know, I can get to that. So, you know, I've never sold a show before, you know, but that's not stopping me from getting with the agencies and going to my agent and saying, hey, I have these projects that I want to be able to put out there and them saying, okay, I mean, right now I have two development deals with two different production companies and, um, you know, and they, I'm, I'm as honest as I am on this podcast, I was with them, but they've seen the scope of work that I've done. And, you know, I've never made a promise to anybody saying that I can make you a star or that I can do this or I can do that for you. But I say, I always say I'm going to try my hardest to figure this out. And, you know, I have, you know, some notches in my belt for some of the people that I've worked with and some of the careers that I've you know, been a small part of from, you know, from their growth to where they are now. So, you know, I know a little something. <laughs> you know a lot of something. <laughs> but I really appreciate your time. Thank I you. Thank you. You definitely, I guess, graduated Miami. But the fact that you're able to bring that love back here, literally. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, and help this community grow and get to that next level. You know, I think from the entire local industry, I, I want to say thank you. Thank you, brother. And we appreciate, appreciate you coming that. back. Yeah. Appreciate that. And we just need our tax incentives for the state back. Yes. <laughs> and some more cafecito in the meantime. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jose. All right. We're back in. That was a great interview with Mari Carmen Lopez. That was great. That was fantastic. She uh, touched on a lot of really great points, including how, how sometimes you have to leave in order to return, right? That's right. She went, left, came back, left, came back again, and she brought something big yeah. to Miami. Yeah, yeah. The whole Love & Hip Hop franchise, you know, to have Miami be part of that sort of pantheon 
of episodes of series, uh, I think it was really special to have that show down here. Yeah, what's cool about Love and Hip Hop Miami, Trick Daddy's one of my favorite artists, you know? Sure. And, you know, definitely all Miami. Yeah. Trina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have someone special coming up. Yes, yeah, we have a, a little special post-interview that we're we're going to tease, but we're going to talk a little bit and then bring our, our special guest in. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I really think that, you know, in terms of, of topical issues of the day and the fact that, you know, she also, Mari mentioned that she worked with Slick Rick. Yeah. Which, uh, another iconic artist who are one of the pioneers of the industry. Uh, and then his uh, sort of unexpected drama with immigration. Yeah. Yeah. He is, uh, for, for those who don't know, and you heard it in the interview, he is, uh, he's British. He uh, was born there. He moved to New York when he was about, what, 10 or 11 years old, I think is what it was. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, you know, just had this great career. It was going well. Uh, unfortunately, had some personal drama, which, which landed him, you know, unfortunately, some, some federal prison time. And, uh, and, yeah, that opened up the door to potentially him being deported back to the UK. And he's at the pinnacle of his career. Yeah, yeah. He was really on a rise. You know, he was out there. He was with probably Def Jam, I think, at the time as well. Probably. I want to say that's right. He was definitely at the top. Yeah, yeah. At top of this game, the best managers, the best music, you know, just working with a lot of really talented folks. And then, you know, to have that become an issue, uh, that the fact that you may have to leave the country where you've lived since you were 10, 11 years old and have made a life and a career here um, it's it was it was it was definitely dramatic, and so but yeah, you know, fortunately, as Marty said, uh, he was able to work through that, and and he is a, a citizen now. Time so. for a resurgence. Yeah, <laughs> time for him to get that career back. Got to get Slick Rick on. Yes, Slick, if you're listening, or you know, I'm sure Marty can help us. Yeah, Marty, if you're listening, I hope you're listening. This is your interview. <laughs> you're gonna help us get Slick Rick. So, uh, so what yeah. is that? Slick Rick, Uncle Luke. Trick made our bids. Trick and Trina. And Trina. Yes. And always in the 305, you got to give a shout out to Pitbull just because he's Mr. 305. Trick has a podcast. Does he? He does. Can we be on his podcast? We can do a twofer. Yeah. A podcast exchange. I like it. Just depends. Who's interviewing who? No one really knows. (laughs) (laughs) Knock it all out one swoop. Yes. So before we get to our special interview, I did want to touch on some of the things that, that Marty mentioned she was working you know, with the digital platforms that we're always talking about, yeah. particularly uh, Facebook Watch, which is doing a lot of original content now. And, you know, it's an interesting format because, you know, the budgets aren't as big, but the, these are still quality productions. This is not the same as someone starting their own YouTube channel. Yeah. And I think especially in this day and age, production is different. Sure. You know, accessibility. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit easier to do things. No, it definitely is. I think now, you know, as we were saying, technology has grown to the point that, you know, really professional grade equipment can be purchased or rented at a price that really allows you with a small skeleton crew skeleton crew, and, and an interesting idea to really come up with some great concepts for shows. But I still stick to my Picasso saying, paints have been around for a long time, but not everyone is a Picasso. Not everyone. Or a, a Jean-Michel Basquiat. Ooh, I like the way you said that. Or Purvis Young. 
or Purvis Young. We're doing a documentary on Purvis Young. Right. And I do believe the artistry may not be so much in the equipment or the tools, but what you do with them, as you were saying. The storytelling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, there's people that have shot movies on cell phone cameras that are interesting than movies that have been shot, you know, on red epics or, you know, 35 millimeter film. And it's just a matter of who's telling that story. What are they capturing? Yeah. And, and I think that's really at the core, and that's something that I think no matter how technology evolves in the future, so long as they don't create AI directors, you know, <laughs> artificial Spielbergs. Well, uh, you, you know, know, coming up with some different things. Yes, but, you know, I think the heart and the human element, we talked a lot about the human element in the intro, is really what it defines the top storytellers of our time, mm-hmm. and every time, I think. Yeah. So so yeah. So it's it, it was interesting what she was doing just in general with Facebook Watch and some of these new uh, concepts that are you know what what the industry used to call snackable content, you know little eight ten minute web series what we used to call web series as well uh, that are really starting to make a name for themselves in the industry. One of my favorites of all time uh, is comedians in cars getting coffee. Love it. I mean, think how simple we're talking about simple ideas. Uh, when we were offline and how simple of an idea uh, for a comedian to just get in a car, pick up one of his buddies and just talk shop and just talk, you know, hate to say it, talk shit <laughs> on your way to have coffee. Yeah. And and you're there and you're enjoying this conversation and it doesn't feel so produced. Like, you know, I think Jerry mentions it in one of the episodes that maybe he should have shot for becoming one of the big late night shows. And he's like, well, you know, we have the late show, James Corden, who actually was Carpool. One of the first. Yeah, karaoke, right? Carpool karaoke. He was one of the first in a car. Yeah. Every single one of those is hilarious. They are. They are. So he was able to use that platform to do something within it. But, you know, in terms of, I guess, Jerry's case, he just kind of created the whole show around this idea of, of stuff that he probably just did anyway. Always been a lover, of, uh, similar to Jay Leno, of classic cars and just loves talking about comedy with his buddies who all mostly happen to be famous comedians which helps. Yeah. And he's like, well, let's just put it on camera and see what happens. And it was originally on Crackle. I remember it was on Crackle. And then obviously recently they got the huge deal with Netflix. With Netflix, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. but I mean, that, that also is saying a lot because a platform is a platform. Yeah. If you have a good story. Or a good concept that can turn into a story, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, it is though. I mean, yeah. you know, every episode is, you know, going over these stories of the comedians and their lives and, you know, I, I think if you have something that, you know, has meat, that has teeth, yeah. it's going to find its audience. I think that's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> we'll see. We're, we're finding doing it. it for a lot of different we're reasons. We're getting the meat. <laughs> but I did want to talk about something else because we talked about snackable content. Right. And this is really interesting. Ron Howard and Brian Grazer, they're launching their digital studio. Really? Yeah. Tell us more about yeah. that. And that's all. I mean, they are doing different types of content. Hmm. But one of the big focuses is mobile. Mobile content. Right. Mobile being the most watched screen. Yeah, you've said that. That happened about a year and a half, two years ago. All right. So that's something. Some of the biggest names in Hollywood. Ron Howard. Yeah. Brian Grazer. Huge. Yeah. But there is so much money, it seems. Like endless piles of cash just (laughs) flowing into this whole idea of the next big digital platform. So... Yeah, Hollywood, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Drop that bucket right here in the studio. Sponsors are welcome. The phone lines are open. So, but I did want to go back to uh, Maddie Common. Yes. You know, because, you know, her story was really interesting of how she kind of wove her way around. And to me, 
you know, that last little nugget, that last little nugget, that never give up. And to shoot your shot no matter what. Yeah. That says a lot. Shoot your shot. That's right. That means something yeah. else in young people culture now, too. I'm sure it does. You know <laughs> it means something in a lot of cultures. <laughs> but that that does say something. Yeah. She said she was waitressing. Right. Well, she bartending. Started, bartending, yeah. And that's how her door opened up initially. Sure. Yeah, you never know what that one gig or what that one turn in your life can lead to the opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah. I always say luck is when opportunity meets skill. There you go. I can't wait to see what she has coming up next. Me too. I'm excited. Yeah, she's you know great talent, just always full of passion and energy, so... Um, it's that Cuban blood, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> of course you're going to say that, my fellow Cuban host. That's right. But so, we, we do have something coming up next. Exactly. Yeah. Coming up now. A little surprise post-interview. Here we go. Would you like to introduce our guest? Someone from Love and Hip Hop Miami. One of the cast members? One of the cast members. Whoa. Miami Tip in the house. All right. Miami Tip, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. We're going to readjust our microphone. Just come in close there, and we're off to the races. So we're really, really happy to have you. Thank you. We're going to very quickly talk about Love and Hip Hop, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to talk about your latest project. Okay. Which is a latest project, but it's a project that's been going on for a while, right? Yes. It's been in my brain forever. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about Love and Hip Hop. You work with Madi. Yes, I do. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your relationship with her. Well, Madi, I was the first cast member in Miami that they reached out to, like, for, well, like, three years before we actually aired. So I was the first cast member she came to. Maddie's from Miami, so she kind of knows my history and my legacy with Miami, and she just felt like I was the perfect person. So she came and got me. Um, At first, I couldn't really believe it. Like, I didn't think it was going to happen because the process took so long, and I went through, like, different cast members. Uh, We shot the pilot. The pilot was completely different from when we first started filming, so I was just lost. But after I got into it, um, it was a great experience. Madi is, like, very helpful. She's very hands-on. She kind of made me feel comfortable because I was nervous. I was like, I don't know. Like, even though it's reality TV, you still know that the world is going to watch you. You don't know if you're good enough or, you know, I've never done it before, but she definitely helped me through. It's a great experience. Um, We're coming up to our third season. We almost didn't make the cut, but we got it. (laughs) Um, Overall, it's a great experience. Loving Hip Hop Miami is is dope. But you've now Mm -hmm. segued into your own stories, your own writing. Yes. You wrote a book. Yes. Well, I actually wrote the book before Love and Hip Hop. The book I wrote in like 2012, 2011, released it in 2012 on ebook. The book is called The Bottom Line. Um, it's about 10 different girls, 10 different women that find their way in the strip club or, you know, through the strip club and how they come out. Um, you know, it's a part of my life. Every story has a little bit of me and what I've seen and what I've been through in it and it's just basically how women overcome and I really want to have a message in it because you know me being a former dancer a lot of people looked at us it's in the urban culture a lot of people looked at us like you know the typical uh 
whores. I don't know if I can say it. Uh, you know, <laughs> you can say it's a know, podcast. You can say what okay. you want. <laughs> um, you know, they just look at dancers like they're not real people and they're like scum of the earth and they're the bottom level. But really, like, you don't know what somebody is going through. You know, you have to do what you have to do to make it out. Some girls get lost in it, but some girls, they get out, they have a goal, they reach it, and they get out. You know what I'm saying? And so I just wanted to set that message out there that we are real people. Everyone has a story. And just because she turned out to be pimped out and drugged out doesn't mean that I'm going to be that way, which is how now that, you know, I'm on TV, I wrote my own book, you know, I'm in the process of trying to figure out if I want to do a series or, you know, a feature film on my book. So, you know. Wow. That's a really cool story. And I've read a lot of the book. I love it. It's amazing. Thank you. And what's really great is you now are starting to understand the production process. Right. So going through that process, you said it took a long time to, you know, get the pilot and to move through. And if you don't know the process, you know, a lot of people, we call it in our industry, hurry up and wait. (laughs) And so I'm sure you understand hurry up and wait. Right. Because that's really exactly what it was for Love & Hip Hop. Mm -hmm. And, and, And it's like that when we're filming, like we'll get on set and we're ready to go but it's so much you know on the production side there's so much that has to be done and set up like and we're there ready to film and we're sitting in a car for like three hours on set ready to film and they're like no the lighting the rain the this the sound the airplane we gotta do this and it's like okay all right. so you just kind of get used to it yeah and you're a businesswoman (laughs) I mean you're producing your own music videos Mm -hmm. now and Mm -hmm. directing yes yeah and you know I I, because I'm also a music artist my all my videos I was directing like I tell them the shots that I want I I come up with the creative ideas I know exactly what I want I never thought about it as me being the director but now that you know I'm into the production I know that I was the director yeah so we're (laughs) definitely looking forward to seeing the next step with the bottom line whether it's a series or whether it's a movie right you know we we know that a lot of now these stories are coming out Mm -hmm. I think there's a movie coming up now with um with uh, Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Lopez, Hustlers. Cardi B, yeah, Cardi I B. I think that comes out Cardi this Friday. B. Yeah, so there, oh. yeah, it's a trend. And uh, our old Florida favorite, Magic Mike. You remember Magic Mike? Uh, yeah, of course. Oh, that was a funny movie. <laughs> <laughs> was, I mean, Matthew McConaughey just being Matthew McConaughey. What a great, great character. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll put a link to the bottom line on the website. That's okay. ScreenHeatMiami.com. Yes. So you all can pick up your copy. Yes. Read it first yes. before you see it. Yes. Buy the book. Yes. Know what you're talking about here. Exactly. We're always on the on the tip of what's next. Ah, right. that's exactly. great. <laughs> the Miami tip. Of what's next. What? what? <laughs> that's great. I think that's a great way to transition. We're, uh, we're making things happen. <laughs> Coming up with stories in the room. Thanks right. a lot, Tip. No problem. Really Thanks for having me. really appreciate it. Yeah, no definitely. So, so yeah, those are uh, a great little kind of post just to kind of add some you know some more color to what uh Mari and her team were able to do with the love and hip-hop franchise and and really shining a light on great local artists like like our friend miami tip so that's that's exciting yeah i, I definitely think that next week's episode is going to be exciting as well oh mr dean lyon oh the dean of digital media we had oh man all of the puns yeah puns can't city. take it 
can't take it. Yeah, yeah. A really, really, really talented visual effects producer and supervisor uh, who's very good friends with Kevin. He was able to bring him in for an interview, so thanks for that, Kevin. Legend. Legendary. Just worked on some of the most amazing uh, films in the history of of big Hollywood movie making from The Lord of the Rings. He blew up the White House in Independence Day. Armageddon almost blew up the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just an exciting... Likes to blow things up. Yeah, yeah. And now he's locally in Miami, so I guess we're figuring out how to blow up some stuff here. Yeah. Well, he has a company here. That's right. Partners in a company here. So definitely they're uh, they're looking to blow more things up. Yes, definitely. Animation and VFX. And I believe they worked on a film that you worked on. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to get more into uh, a film that I was involved in through Hylia Park Studios called Critical Thinking, which we'd love to have some of the filmmakers and producers on a future episode as well. Mr. Leguizamo. Yes. uh, His directorial debut. That's correct. He stars in the film and it will mark his directorial debut. Yeah. We're looking for you, Mr. Leguizamo. Yes, and, and of course, the talented producer, Carla Berkowitz, uh, who first discovered and had the idea to turn this real-life story into a film. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd love to have Carla and, obviously, John and some of the other producers and filmmakers uh, on the podcast as well. Was it hot when you all were filming? Was it? Um, no, we actually, uh, that was filmed in December. Oh, November, December. It so cool. It wasn't that hot, to be honest. It we was, had not started this podcast yet. No, pre-podcast. So the screen <laughs> heat wasn't That's right. blazing. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely wasn't. But it's here now. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of great things. Hopefully, you know, uh, wishing all the best for that team and that project as well. Yeah. So next episode, Mr. Lion. Yes. He's going to roar. Come into the lion's den. All right. That's the last one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, all your listeners out there that have tuned in and definitely if you're just tuning in check out our other episodes oscar winners emmy winners now we have future emmy and oscar winners yeah all sorts of talent miami tip (laughs) in the house what can we say it's it's hot it's hot (laughs) all right so we'll see you next time